0: Hey, it's Rochelle, and you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a production of Catholic Answers. Welcome to the place to transform the world by transforming yourself. So yeah, it's November. It's a great month, I gotta say. Not only is this the month where I will celebrate my birthday, but... I will also have a month's worth of amusement while I watch the men of my generation try to grow facial hair during no shave November. Oh, sorry, gents, but your patchiness just humors me so much. Anyways, besides those two great things, the Roman Catholic Church will be consciously remembering the dearly departed. And... If you have ever looked at the bottom of your Forever 21 shopping bag or watched a national sporting event, you are familiar with John 3.16. Because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is the real deal. Those who have passed away from this earth are still alive and they need to be remembered. And that's why the church is celebrating All Souls Day today, right? Now All Souls Day is a day when we, the living, remember those who have died before us. And I say before us because we're all gonna die, right? So what does that mean when we say we remembered the dead? Does that mean we reminisce about them and then pour out some liquor for the homies? No, I'm totally just kidding. But to be serious, How do Catholics remember the dead? So there's four ways. One is by prayer. Two is by works of mercy. Three is by penance for the dead. Yes, you can do that. Just ask St. John Chrysostom. In his second century homily, he said... Let us help and commemorate them, right? He's talking about those who have died. Um, If Job's sons were purified by their father's sacrifice, why would we doubt that our offering for the dead bring them some consolation? Let us not hesitate to help those who have died and offer our prayers for them. Like, can someone give this man a mic? Because I think he needs to drop it. Anyways, the fourth way that we remember the dead and probably the most powerful is the sacrifice of the mass and why do we do this like why do we deem these actions so necessary that we designate a whole day to remembering the dead in this way well to give a short answer is because purgatory is real right but to flush that out a little bit is to say that catholic teaching is that the soul which has departed the body um is not perfectly cleansed from venial sin or it hasn't atoned for past transgressions. So these souls are excluded from the beatific vision. And now the beatific vision is what we call it when the soul encounters the fullness of God. So souls are not excluded from the full presence of God because God's just, you know, being a meanie or something. It's for the sake of our souls. So remember the first Gremlins movie? So recall that scene when the family is sitting in the dim living room. And then Billy's mom, she takes a photo of Gizmo with one of those old cameras that has like that old school flash cube on it. And so what's Gizmo's reaction? He freaks out and he starts screeching, bright light, bright light. And then he buries his face in Billy's chest because he just couldn't handle the intensity of that flash. Now, this would be the reaction of our souls if after death, we went directly to the throne of God with all the... Earthly baggage of our sinfulness, right? So this is just an analogy, but I think you get my drift here. So let's continue on the topic of purgatory just a little bit longer. So for me personally, the teaching on purgatory used to scare me, right? Because the language—it's intense. We read or we hear people say that um, there's a fire of um, purification, right? And so what does that make you think of? To me, that it sounds scary. The more that I've read about purgatory and the purification that takes place there in the writings of mystics or saints who were permitted to see it, the more I've realized it's a grace, right? It's a mercy for us. And a few mystic saints that come to mind when I think about the souls in purgatory, now there's a lot, but I'm only going to list to talk about a few here. Um, The first is St. Catherine of Genoa, Now, she was a mystic visionary, and we can read some of her mystical experiences, which she wrote down. And among her writings is her treatise on purgatory. Now, to be clear, this was not based on a vision, and Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI referred to her treatise as a thought, right?, but it's a thought of this privileged saint. So what does that mean? Basically, if her treatise on purgatory was strictly like a vision from God or Mary or one of the saints in heaven, it would have a lot of bearing on our theological understanding of this state of purgation after death. But since it's not like a strict vision from the heavenly realm, it doesn't carry as much weight. But it's still very valuable to us because of the source, right? And the source is St. Catherine of Genoa, who is considered a valuable source because of all of her other um, visions and um, writings, which she got from these encounters with the Lord, right? So enough of that. You're probably like, okay, just tell me what she said about purgatory already. All right, let me get to it. So in a nutshell, what she says is that The souls in purgatory are joyful in spite of undergoing the pains of purification because they're fully immersed in the heavenly realm. They can see God's will, right? And so they now have a different, a bigger perspective than they did before death. And so from this perspective, they see that God's will is perfect. God's will is just and and their purification is God's will, and therefore they're joyful knowing that they are participating in His will. And now I mentioned the pains of purification. Now that refers to the soul becoming acutely aware of how far from perfect it is, like how much the soul is not Godlike. And it also comes from the reality that we have to wait to be with the one whom our soul loves while we're being purified, you know? We can see perfection, you know, in front of us, you know, because God is there, right? And then you can see yourself, and you just see, like, there's such a difference, and you just want to be united with God, but you know that you must be purified, and it's just like that That longing is almost—it's um, so intense, it's almost like agonizing, Right? Now, another mystic saint that I think about is St. Catherine of Siena, and you've heard me mention her a lot, and I probably will continue um, because I do know quite a lot about her. Now, she was able to see her father in purgatory, like she had a vision, and she was able to see purgatory and see her father there, and so she begged Jesus to release her father from purgatory so that he can go to heaven. And Jesus agreed to this, but he asked Catherine if she would do penance in reparation for her father. And of course, she's a saint, so what does she say? She says yes, right? Now, the last mystic saint that comes to mind, and she's probably the first for most people, and that's St. Gertrude the Great. And this is because she has a prayer that, if you say it, it releases 1,000 souls from purgatory. And you can find this just by Googling. Just Google prayer to release 1,000 souls from purgatory, and it'll pop up. And so like all mystics, she was eager for souls to be conformed to Christ, right? She would offer her daily communion for this and for all the souls in purgatory. And to which Jesus told her one day, he said, "'I accept with highest pleasure what is offered to me for the poor souls, for I long inexpressibly to have near me those of whom I paid so great a price.'" By the prayers of thy loving soul, I am induced to free a prisoner from purgatory as often as thou dost move thy tongue to utter a word of prayer. So basically, the Lord wants all of us to be with him in heaven. He wants us to not have any sort of barrier between ourselves and him. And, you know, he's told St. Gertrude the Great, he said, yeah, time that you pray for those souls to be united to me, I will gladly Uh, release them from purgatory so that they can be united to me because that is what I want because I paid such a price for them. Now, here's a little history. So praying for the dead has been a thing since the beginning of Christianity. Well, in fact, it's actually something that was done under the old law. So before Christianity, during Judaism, we see this in 2nd Maccabees, chapter twelve forty six, And we hear that uh, Judas Maccabeus, he made atonement for the dead, that they might be delivered from their sins. And Like I said, Christianity has been praying for the dead since the beginning because this was part of the Jewish tradition that is still true in Christianity. It wasn't until the 11th century that the date of November the 2nd was made the universal day to remember the souls according to the Roman Rite. And now it spans the whole month of November. Before the 11th century, like priests celebrated masses for the dead as requested by their families, or if there was any sort of like instructions left behind in their will or something like that. But so it wasn't like part of the calendar until the 11th century. And myself, as a Byzantine Catholic, we remember the souls of the departed over a series of Saturdays. And that's later on in our liturgical year. But I believe that remembering the dead is so valuable that I say, why not do this in accordance with both liturgical calendars, right? I'm only helping the universal church um, here on earth and in heaven, right? So I've been drawn to pray for the dead for as long as I can remember. And I was always drawn to um, the celebration of Dia de los Muertos, which is the day of the dead. And some people get a little freaked out about this, you know, like the skulls and the skeletons and those type of decorations. And... Actually, for some reason, skulls have always, you know, been something I'm attracted to. I actually have a a golden skull on my desk here at work, and it's there all year round. And some people, like I said, get weirded out about this, and they're like, why is there a skull on your desk? And I don't know, maybe people get weird because, you know, they think that you idolize death or something. But actually, that's not the case. And for me, I got this idea from the Carthusian monks. Now, they're responsible for a number of high altar constructions that are made of human skeletons or adorned with human skeletons. And you have to have seen pictures of these, you know, now and, you know, that everyone uses the internet all the time. You have to have come across a picture like this. Now, these monks would actually, and I think they still do this today, when they greet each other, it's with the Latin phrase frater momento mori, which means brother, remember your death, which I love because you're constantly living your life. With the understanding that you will die, your body will die, but your soul lives on forever and that you want your soul to be united to God. And so you're invited to become familiar with death, to become unafraid of it, and to live a holy life with heaven as your aim. And so every time I see this thing sitting on my desk, it does remind me that I will die and that eternity with the Lord is my desire. And for me to not do anything to mess it up. And so how can we remember the dead for the rest of this month of November? Of course, you know, like I said, there's prayer, works of mercy, offering penance for the dead, having masses said for our dead loved ones. But you might be like, those are too many options. I don't even know what to do. Okay, so I'm going to challenge everyone. If you want to do one of those four options that I just listed off there, do that, but also do this. So look up the St. Gertrude prayer to release 1,000 souls from purgatory and recite it every day. Bam, right? By the end of the month, each one of us will have helped release 27,000 souls from purgatory. And that's if we start today. So what a blessing it is to help our brothers and sisters to be united with the Lord. And the Venerable Fulton Sheen was so right when he said, as we enter heaven, we will see them, so many of them coming towards us and thanking us. And we will ask, who are they? And they will say, a poor soul you prayed for in purgatory. Right? Like, how awesome is that? And when we pray for the souls in purgatory, they're praying for us here at the church on earth. And I mentioned something like this in my episode on uh, relics. So if you don't recall that, go back and listen to that episode. I think it's very apt for this season of the year. All right, everyone. I have had a blast talking about the souls in purgatory. I hope that you guys have found today's episode enlightening, beatific even. No, just kidding. Anyways, um, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, this is your time to do that. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please follow the podcast on Instagram at Clumsy Theosis. You can keep up with me there. I'm totally open to answering private messages and emails, both of which you can find on our Instagram page, at Clumsy Theosis. So I hope to hear from you guys. Subscribe, follow on Instagram. Peace out, guys. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Clumsy Theosis. Each week, we explore a topic within the Catholic faith to aid listeners like yourself, as well as yours truly, in the advancement and deepening of the spiritual life and the personal ownership of our relationship with the big guy upstairs and his church. As cliche as it sounds, the world needs you. Become who you were created to be with Clumsy Theosis, the place to transform the world by transforming yourself.